Hello, and welcome to the Clearfort Community Church Podcast. Our hope with this podcast is that you would be encouraged by the weekly teaching from God's Word, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day of the week. To learn more about Clearfort Community Church, go to clearfortchurch.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Clearfort Church. Now, let's jump into this week's message. Did you see the scripture sheet this morning? Anybody see that and get scared? Like, how long are we going to be here? I understand. I understand. We're going we're gonna to give a synopsis of it, but I want to give you background this morning. So glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, again, we are building a church. We are about six, year, six weeks old, seven weeks old, something like that. And uh, we are building. We are not built, okay? So a church plant is exactly that. You are planting a church, and you have to water it, and you got to get good sunshine. you got to get a lot of people that take care of it. And we are building something that we're praying would be for your children's children. Do you believe that? Do you believe that what we're doing right now, people a hundred years from now could benefit from what you're doing? Do you believe that? That's what we're about. I hope you believe that because that's what is the motivation for getting up, setting up chairs, setting up a stage, doing all that we do is because we're planning something that someone else later on down the road is going to sit in the shade of what we're doing right now, and they're going to experience the gospel. And I pray that you experience the gospel this morning, but just know that you're planting something that has the potential to produce fruit for hundreds and hundreds of years. You don't believe me? You look around at all the churches in our city and you ask, how long have they been there? Someone did what you're doing right now to plant a church because there's hundreds of thousands of people in our city that need to know the gospel. And so we need more churches and especially in this Southwest corridor where there are going to be 90,000 new people moving in in the next 10 to 15 years in this Southwest corridor. So that's why we're doing what we're doing because God is worthy of that, right? God is worthy of everything that we do, every ounce of energy that we have. He's worthy of it, and that is an act of worship. I told the folks that came this morning and was setting up, I said, what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? You know what it really means, what it looks like? Is that at some point you're tired, and you go, God, all of that's for you. I'm tired because I've been working, and I'm giving that all to you because it's your, you're worthy of that. And, and mentally, that you're mentally tired because you're thinking about things. You're loving God with all of your mind, and you're giving him that because he's worthy of that, right? So that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, and that's what really the worship night is about. Uh, as we look forward to that next Sunday at 4 o'clock, it'll be a family time, as Matt said, but also just a time to say, God, you're worthy. You're worthy of all of our time and energy and everything that we have, so... All right, so uh, we're in Acts chapter 12, but I want to give you a, a, you know, every time you watch a show, they go previously on, right? And they catch you up from the whole series. You don't really need that because you've been binging. I know how you do it. I don't need the recap. I know that. Skip that intro because I've been seeing it all the time. I know what's coming up. But Acts chapter 12 is based on Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says to his disciples, you are going to be my witnesses. He says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. If you want to know the outline of the book of Acts, that's what it is. It follows that outline where Jesus said, this is what's going to happen, and it's exactly what happened, and Luke simply records what happened, okay? 
So we're in Acts chapter 11 and 12. Matt did a great job last week of saying, what is a Christian? Because the Christians were first called, the, the believers were called Christians first at Antioch, and that's where we are. So now the gospel is moving. Last week, a couple, two, three weeks ago, we were on Peter. Peter brought the gospel to uh, Cornelius, a, a Roman centurion, and that was the first time the gospel began to cross over from the Jews now to the Gentiles. So that was the first little scene that we saw. Now we see in Acts chapter 11, the gospel is now being taken to the Gentiles wholeheartedly. And in fact, they establish a church. They plant a church in Antioch. So look with me in Acts chapter 11. I'm going to just recap that real quick, and then we're going to move into Acts chapter 12. So it says, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. So that's Acts chapter 7. Stephen, one of the early deacons, one of the early leaders in the church, was the first martyr of the church. And they killed him because he was a follower of Christ, because he didn't agree with what they, where they were going, what they wanted to see happen. And so they literally killed Stephen for his faith. He was the first martyr, Christian martyr, uh, apart from Christ, right? So that's Stephen in Acts chapter 7. It said, then a persecution broke out. Based on what happened to Stephen, now they're persecuting Christians all throughout Jerusalem. And it said, hey, we've got to get out of here. So some of the people that scattered as a result of that, they made their way all the way up to Cyprus and Cyrene, and they moved down into Antioch. And it says they began to share the gospel with those who were in Antioch. And for the first time, Gentiles and a large numbers of people in the Gentile, amongst the Gentiles began to accept Christ. And and they began to know the gospel and understand the gospel. And so that's Antioch. And so the, the church down in Jerusalem hears about this and they say, hey, Barnabas, you've got to get up to Antioch and see what's going on up there. So they send Barnabas. Now, listen, this is 300 miles away up to Antioch. And Barnabas is leaving. He's not catching a train. He's not got trains, planes, and automobiles just simply to get up there, right? This is a 15-day journey, right? He is traveling up there by foot or maybe on donkey all the way up to uh, Antioch. And he says he, when he gets up there, he sees the grace of God. So follow along with me. Make sure I'm not missing anything here. He gets up there and it says he sees the grace of God on the people. He's like, this is amazing. God's hand was with them and many people came to know Christ through that time. And so Barnabas stays there and then he says, hey, I need my buddy, I need my disciple, Paul, the apostle Paul, who comes to know Christ in Acts chapter 9, who was formerly Saul, a persecutor of the church, and now he comes to know Christ. And Barnabas says, I need my buddy Saul, Paul. So he sends down to Tarsus for Paul. And again, Paul makes his way up to Antioch, and they spend an entire year discipling and loving and building a church. That's what they're doing in Antioch. And so this was a radical uh, move of the gospel into Gentile uh, territory. So they spend a, an entire year there. Then it goes on to say that there's a, a famine. So they're experiencing famine. And so this church up in Antioch says, man, our people, where we came from down in Jerusalem, down in Judea, man, they're going through a difficult time. So they raise money in this early church, this brand new church. They raise money and they send it down to the church in Jerusalem and, and they uh, support the church they came from. So in Acts chapter 12, we're picking up there, and it says, about that time, Herod, the king, this was King Herod Agrippa I, the grandson of Herod, who we're about to study about in the Christmas story, right? You know about Herod, who killed all the firstborns during, it's, it's in your Christmas story, you remember that, 
That's Herod, Herod the Great. This is his grandson. His grandson was not much different than his grandfather. And it says he laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. What do you think that means? It wasn't that he gave them a strong massage. Let's put it that way, right? It wasn't that he was giving them. He laid violent hands on them. They, he was persecuting the church. And then he finds James, James and John, Peter, one of the early disciples, one of the first apostles, one of the first followers of Christ. And it says he found James, he arrested him, and he beheaded James. First again, first apostle to give his life for the gospel. And then because he said that pleased the Jews, they were, they were excited about that. Hey, take care of these new Christians. Let's, let's get rid of them because that pleased the, the powers that be. Herod said, well, uh, why don't I do this? I'll arrest Peter. So he arrests Peter. And Peter is in prison and he's waiting the next day, most likely would uh, get the same fate that his friend James, his fellow apostle James got. So he's waiting to be executed, right? He is between two soldiers, he's chained to them, and he's in prison. And what is Peter doing? He's all fretful, he's anxious, he's worried, he just can't sleep. He's, just, he's, so, uh, he's so over the top anxious about what's going to happen the next morning, he can't stand it. Anybody catch that? Okay, you following along with me? That's not what happened to Peter. Okay, what happened to Peter is he's completely asleep. You imagine that waiting on the next morning, you know that you're probably going to be killed and you're just, you're just sleeping between two soldiers, right? And about that time, the, the, the church is fervently praying, it says. They're praying for Peter. They're praying for all that's going on. They've gathered in Mary's house and they're praying in the upper room. By the way, many uh, scholars believe that upper room that we're talking about right here is the same place that Jesus had the Passover with his 12 disciples. They believe that's the upper room that was also used for the 120, where they gathered. It was a large home, and it was Mary, uh, the mother of John Mark, and Barnabas' cousin. So all of that related. So they are gathered there, and they're praying for the church, and an angel comes and, and releases Peter from prison. Okay, So Peter just... He, he knocks on Peter, wakes him up from sleep, says, hey, come on, let's get out of here. And so he's released, and Peter gets out of jail. He goes back to Mary's home. He knocks on the door, and a girl named Rhoda, Rhoda answers the door. Or at least she comes to the door, and she hears Peter's voice, and she doesn't even open the door. She doesn't even let him in. She just runs back to the church so excited about what had happened. She said, Peter's at the door. And the, the whole church is like, you're crazy. No, Peter's not at the door. He's in prison. Now, they're praying for the release of Peter, but I'm not sure they completely believe that that was going to actually happen, right? And so Peter shows up at the door, knocks on the door, and, and they can't believe their eyes. They're amazed at what's happened, okay? Then it goes on, the, the final few verses there is how Herod meets his demise. It says he was eaten by worms. He literally was eaten by worms. There was a parasite that was going on during this time that would get in the lower intestines and it literally would, would strangle the small intestines and people died of that. And that's how Herod Agrippa I died. But notice, I want you to look at the very last few sentences, verse 24 and 25. It says, but... It says, gives all of that background, all that we just talked about, and it says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. The word of God in the midst of all that going on increased and multiplied. And then we begin to see Barnabas and Saul, they returned to Jerusalem 
when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose name was Mark, who John Mark. So John Mark begins to follow Paul and Barnabas and spend time with them. We'll pick up on John Mark later in the book of Acts. So all that is going on. So as I was preparing for this message, I just began asking myself, what was, what was different about the early church, right? What was different? What was going on there that we don't experience here in the church that we have in America? What's different? And so I want us to pause and just pray about that for just a moment. I want us to just prepare our hearts as we jump in and, and look what God would have for us. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? So, Father, as we uh, open up your word, we don't want to come and simply run through it. We don't want to come and, and not even hear exactly what's going on or hear what you have to say to us this morning. We want to pause and say you're worthy of our time, you're worthy of our, our mental capacity, you're worthy of our focus, you're worthy of all that. So we've said our, our goal here is to hear from the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, to encourage the people of God to stay on the mission of God, the mission that God has for us. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. There was a man, he was walking down the, the road, and he comes to a guy that's kind of working, and he, he comes up to the guy and says, hey, what are you doing here? The guy picks up his scaffolding, his little, little spatula type thing, and he, he picks up some cement, and he throws it on a brick, and he puts it into place, and he says, what's it look like I'm doing? I'm laying brick. And then he goes on down the road, and he comes to another guy doing the similar thing. He picks up his, his uh, spade, he picks up a little cement, and he puts it on a brick, and he says, I'm, I'm, I'm working on a wall here. He makes his way on down the street. He sees another guy, a third guy, doing the exact same thing. And he says, hey, what are you doing here? And he picks up his spade. He, he picks up some cement, puts it on a brick, and he puts it into place. And he says, I'm building a cathedral. You see, the same exact activity, the same exact things that they're doing, but one guy just sees himself as laying brick. Another guy says, no, we're building a cathedral to the glory of God. Could, I could have gotten here at 7.30 this morning and asked the guys, hey, what are you doing? What does it look like I'm doing? I'm setting up chairs, right? What does it look like I'm doing? I'm unloading a, a trailer. What does it look like I'm doing? I'm setting up for the kids. What does it look like I'm doing? Another guy I could have asked or another woman I could have asked, and they say, hey, we're building a cathedral to the glory of God, Right? It's all a matter of how we see things and how we're looking at things and what we're doing it for and for the glory of God. And it changes everything about us. And that's when I was asking about what's different about the early church. That's the very thing that I see that was different. It was all about perspective. It's all about what they were looking at. Okay. And as you sang, sang those songs this morning, you're worthy of all of our focus. You're worthy of everything we have. That's what we sing, right? Sometimes we sing words and we go, what am I singing, right? Wow, that's powerful. I, I need to know what I'm singing and telling God. And so I want to look at five things this morning as we look at the difference between our church, the American church, not our church, clear for it, but our church, the American church, and comparing it to the church that we see 
in the New Testament and we go, hey, what's the difference here? Because I want to experience what they were experiencing. And if we want to experience what they were experiencing, we have to see what they were doing. So number one, I want you to see is they were facing things that you and I just don't have to face, right? They were facing things that you and I just don't have to face in our daily lives. Look with me again at Acts eleven nineteen. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Cyrene and to Antioch. They are traveling 300 miles away. Now, listen, don't get lost in this, right? Okay, we can get lost in geography and Bible and all of that, but I want you to put yourself in their position, right? You've been in Jerusalem, you've got your family, you've grown up there, you know all the people, you've got your job, you've got everything you have there, everything you own is in Jerusalem, and then this persecution uh, breaks out, and you have to make your way all the way up to Antioch, 300 miles away, and you're not getting a U-Haul truck to carry all your stuff up there. You're carrying whatever you have on your back and whatever you maybe get on your donkey, and you're going up to Antioch, and you, you and I, I would be thinking about, what am I going to do? Man, I lost my job. Where am I going to, what kind of income am I going to make? What am I going to, how am I going to provide for my family? Well, how am I going to do these things? And these people, what are they doing? They're thinking about all the people in Antioch that don't know the gospel. They're thinking about those people who need to know that they can be set free from this world. They can have an eternal relationship with the God who created them. That's what they're thinking about. They were facing things that you and I have never had to face. Persecution. Then look with me in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Again, the violent hands that, that they brought on people. And then they, they get James. They behead James. Can you imagine that someone in our body, that the government comes, drags them out of here, and you hear two days later that they have beheaded that person? I think I'm out on that deal, right? I, I'm not sure this church thing's all it's cracked up to be. I'm not sure I'm in on that deal, right? Anyone with me? I don't know if I'm in on that deal when I start hearing things like that, you know, and I go, wow, what, what, what did they have to go through? And then not only do they behead James, they arrest Peter, who is one of the main guys, man, the guy that you've been looking to. He's our leader and they've arrested him. Now he's in prison. Now I'm really out on this deal. They had to face things that we just don't have to face. And then on top of that, it says in, in the latter parts of 11, they went through famine. Now, that's, that's hard, difficult. That's not COVID. That's famine. Like, they're, they're wondering what they're going to eat. And so the church in Antioch sends money down to the church in Jerusalem, and they respond to that. So my point here is they are facing things that as an American church, we just don't have to face. Praise God, right? Anybody want to praise God for that? I mean, I'm not looking to go through hardship. I'm not a, I'm not a glutton for punishment. I, I'm not stupid, right? I'm not looking for that stuff to happen. I'm just saying, I'm just stating the facts that the church was going through things that you and I just don't have to face, right? So that's the first thing is they were facing things that we don't have to face. But I want to ask us a question. What does it take to keep you from the church? What does it take to keep you from eternal things? What does it take for you to go, I'm kind of out on that today. I'm kind of out on that this week. I'm out on that for this whole month, in fact. What does it take for us to go, hey, I don't know that I'm in on that. It's inconvenient. It just doesn't meet my schedule. It just doesn't. And I'm just saying, hey, what are we facing that keeps us from the early church said, hey, 
It's not going to be famine. It's not going to be that it killed our leaders. It's not going to be because I don't have all the possessions I have, the creature comforts that I have. It's not going to be because of all of that stuff that I'm out of the game. That's not going to keep me from doing what God's called me to do. I am going to keep on keeping on. And so I just want to ask you, what does it take for it to knock us off what we're here to do? Not a lot. By and large, because we haven't been trained. And that's not, I want to move into why that is. And I want to convince you that we can do something different and see God do bigger things in our lives. So listen, I just want to encourage you. There will be, there will never be a better time for you to go all in with God than you are right now. See, I talk to a lot of people, I talk to like, like a, lot, a lot of young couples, and they say, hey, we just got married, and we're really busy. We've got a lot of things going on in our lives, and, and we just don't have time for that right now. There's never going to be a, a better time than right now for you to be all in with God. Because guess what? You're going to have children. If you're married and you, you have children, then, then you're going to say, hey, we've got small children. And man, it's so busy right now. We've got so much going on. We've got so many things, and those are real. Those are real things, right? And then you get kids and they, they get older and they're five, six, seven years old and they're in t-ball and they're in soccer and you're running here on Saturday, running there on Friday. You're going through another city on this day and you're going to get them in select soccer and you're going to get them in select baseball and you're going to get them in all these things and you're going to be running and going and going and going. And you're going to say, when this is over, then we're going to get serious about it. And then you have teenagers, and you go, man, we just only have a few more years with these teenagers. Man, we want to travel with them. We want to get out with them. We want to spend time with them. Listen, my daughter's sitting in the fifth row there. I know the, the real deal here, right? I know how this works. And then they get out of the home. That's where we are. They're mostly out of the home, right? And so we're empty nesters. And so we're going, hey, we want to travel. We want to do this. We want to do some other things. And because we're free, thank God Almighty, we're free at last, right? No. Then you get out and then you say, hey, I've got aging parents and I've got to take care of aging parents. And guess what? Before long, you're the one aging, right? It just never changes. And so now is the time to be all in with God. It's giving him everything right where you are and you got to trust him. We're going to move on. So they face things that we don't face Number two, they believe things like we don't really believe things, right? Number one, they believe that God had called them to take the gospel to the world. So in Acts chapter one, Jesus says, hey, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Do you know how many people he was talking to when he said that? About as many people as in this room. He said to those 120 people in the upper room, you're going to be my witnesses in the whole world. Oh, that's laughable. Come on, people. We've got 120 people. We're not going to be their witness. We're not going to be your witnesses in the, in the whole world. 2,000 years later, who are we here talking about? Because they said, we believe this deal. In fact, 10 of the 11 disciples gave their lives for that deal. And John, the brother of James, was exiled to the island of Patmos, right? And so we, we, they gave their lives saying, hey, Jesus said it. We're going to do it. They believed they were called to take the gospel to the world. Now, you don't really believe that we're going to make a difference in Fort Worth, do you? You don't really believe this church is going to make a difference in Fort Worth. Really, we've got about 100 people here. What can we do, right? Do you believe that? You see, they believe things like we don't really believe things. They believed in the sovereignty of God 
and the love of God. They believed that God was sovereign. He was completely in control. He had everything in his hand. He was completely in control, and he was completely loving. Now, we could talk about this one forever, because that's a conundrum sometimes. If God is in total control, and he's total, totally loving, then why do things like James happen? Why do people get arrested for the God? Why do bad things happen to good people? That whole thing, right? That's a whole nother ball of wax. But they believed that God was sovereign and that he was good. Now, I can't tell you why God made Peter to continue to go through the suffering that he had to go through, right? Why didn't he just take him out like James? Man, James got the better end of this deal, right? Many of you are going, like, well, hold on a minute, James was killed. I don't, I don't understand. James got the better end of that deal. God says, hey, James, it's time. Come on up here. <laughs> it's much better up here than it is down there. And then he said, hey, Peter, you got a little bit longer. We're going to leave you down there a little bit longer. But why do those things happen? See, Peter believed in the sovereignty of God. He believed in it so much that when he's arrested and he's in prison waiting to be killed, just like his friend James was, he's asleep. Man, how many times do you worry about things at night? You just can't sleep at night because you're worried about them. And it's a lot less than worrying about that you're going to live tomorrow. It's, it's, somewhat minor things, but we just can't sleep because we believe we've got to control those things, right? Is that just me or is that you? Do you have those same challenges? you have those same sleepless nights sometimes when you think, oh, I've got to be in control. I've got to be in charge of that. No, God is sovereign and we simply respond to him and then we can sleep in the midst of great turmoil around us. They believed in the sovereignty of God and the love of God. The last thing they believed that that we don't always believe. They believed in the imminent return of Christ. They believed Jesus was coming back. It could be tomorrow, guys. It could be next week. It could be a month from now. It could be, it could be today. Jesus could come back. The early church did not, they, they weren't going, oh yeah, it's going to be 2,000 years. They were like, hey, it could be tomorrow. Jesus is coming back again. Do y'all believe that? Jesus is coming back again. And all the stuff going around, around us would lead us to believe that it's a lot closer than it's ever been. The facts are it's a lot closer than it's ever been, right? Just because we lived another day, it's closer than it's ever been. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. The early church lived in light of that. It wasn't a fearful thing. It wasn't an anxious thing. It was a joyful thing. They were like, come, Lord Jesus, come. They were so excited about that. Because they believe things like we don't always believe things. And I'm not talking to us as clear for it because we've got a lot of great people. We're believing these things. We're seeking to believe these things. But as the American church, the next thing is they did what we do not always do. And I want to I talk about two things specifically. Number one is, a worship, is worship. Now, what you'd say is I didn't see anywhere in there where they were singing. And we read that whole thing, or you could read over that whole 12, 11, and 12, and you say, I don't see any singing in that. Where are you getting that from? You see, worship is not just singing, although JT does a great job of leading us to sing and worship God through worship, but worship is everything that we do. It's everything that we are. It's going, it is ascribing worth to God. It's saying, God, you are worth this. You are worth this time and energy and every resource that I have that you're worth that and you're ascribing worth to God based on what you're doing and that is worship, whether it's singing, whether it's setting up chairs, whether it's keeping children, whatever it is, it's saying, God, you are worthy 
and you're ascribing worth to God through that worship. And so I want to ask you, what if, uh, and, and two, two metaphors I'm going to use. I want to, I want to use a metaphor of a windstorm and a rainstorm, all right? The windstorm. I want to ask you, what if I asked you to uh, walk five miles and I told you, hey, it's going to be really windy out there, but I want you to, to walk five miles. And you said, hey, five miles, that's no big deal. I run marathons. What are you talking about? I can walk five miles in my sleep. I could do that sleep. I could do that very so easily. But then I said, everything that you have is around you. Everything that you own, everything that you are, everything that you have is all around you. And you walk those five miles, take with you whatever you want. Five miles, and, and, and you're, you're grabbing hold of everything you have, every TV that you have, everything that you could put on your back, and you're just walking five miles. Can you imagine how difficult that would be? When you're lugging everything, even, even representation of each one of those things in your life, and you're lugging those things down the road, that's what it looks like for us many times in the American church because we're not willing to, to let go of all those things. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't want you to have those things. There's nothing wrong with those things. My wife and I have a, an abundance of stuff. Man, if you've ever moved, you're going, where did we get all this stuff? It's amazing. It like multiplies in the dark somewhere. It's like you, they, they cohabitate and then they, they make babies. It's amazing, right? It's crazy what, what you have in your house as you move. You realize how much you have, right? And you begin to lug those things. And that's what we do. We take everything we have on a walk and we wonder why we're so tired. What I want to ask you to do is, is just raise your hand. Would you raise your hand like this? No, I'm not, we're not going charismatic. Don't worry about it, okay? All right. You know what this is? This is the universal uh, symbol for surrender, right? It's like I surrender. I just let go of all that. Okay, you can put it down. I let go of all of that stuff, all that stuff that I would want to take with me that's loading me down, and I simply want to worship God. In fact, You've got to do that in order to truly worship God. You're saying, God, I'm going to let go of all of that, and I'm going to worship you. I'm going to raise my hand and completely give you everything. I surrender all of that. Do you realize how freeing that is? Some of you right now are going, I don't know if I'm ready to do that. You're, you're thinking of, of maybe how you might be able to strap on a, just a little bit of stuff, right? Maybe if I just, maybe I could carry this, maybe I could figure out a way to get down the road with some of the stuff that I want. What I'm telling you is the early church completely surrendered all of that and said, God, it's all yours. Whatever you want to give me back, it's all yours. And so I let go of that. The windstorm is coming and I can't carry all of that. And so I surrender it to you as an act of worship. That's when you know that you're ascribing all worth to God. God, you're worthy of everything I have. And that's where the early church was. They ascribed worth to God and they said, I'll let go of all of that so that I can follow, follow Christ. The second thing is they prayed. It says they were in passionate prayer. They were, they were uh, in, a, in a state of complete focus on prayer in the upper room as they're praying for Peter and the others that are going through what they're going through. It says they were ektinos, which means stretching of a muscle 
to its limits. That's how earnestly, that word earnestly, that's what it means. They were stretching their muscles to its fullness. What it means is they pulled a hammy praying, right? They pulled a hamstring praying. Oh man, how did you do that? I was praying really hard. That's what it's saying. They were praying so hard that they were stretching their muscles to the very nth degree. That's how they were praying. Here's the next motion I want you to make. Not only this, absolute surrender, but this right here. Right there. Just this right here is another act of worship, right? Prayer is an act of worship. It is simply leaning down, grabbing what you have, and you go, hey, all this stuff that I have, I let go of it, but what are you saying, Jeff? Are you saying that I need to be irresponsible with my kids? That I need to be irresponsible for my marriage, irresponsible for the things that I have, irresponsible for my job and all the things that God's called me to? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying let go of it. And then prayer moves into the next thing where you're simply going, here, God, here's the rainstorm. The rainstorm is coming. What do you do when, when rain's coming? You get everything off the ground. You get it into higher ground. You take it off the floor and you get it to a place where it's going to be safe. And that's what prayer is. It is taking all the things that you're worried about and lifting them up to God and saying, hey, God, here it is. I want to I want to lift it up to you where it's on higher ground, where this this wave of water that's coming is not going to destroy it. And so prayer is the act of lifting all of that up to God. So worship is simply surrendering it all and saying, God, you're worthy of all of it. Prayer is saying, okay, God, you have given me some things to be responsible for. All those things are good things. Here, I'm lifting it up to you. And that's what the early church did. They said, hey, God, we can't be responsible. We don't know what's going to happen to Peter, but we want to earnestly pray for him. You see, they believe things. They did things that we don't always do. How many of you pulled a hammy praying, right? How many of you have been exhausted by praying so much? Very few of us in the American church, but that's where the early church was because they faced things that we don't face. They believe things that we don't always really believe. And because they did those two things, they did things that we don't always do. And because they did things that we don't always do, guess what? They lived like we don't always live. It's amazing how much anxiety, fear, depression, all of those things. And, and hey, listen, I know I've dealt with some of those things. You've dealt with some of those things. We've got a lot of people in our congregation that deal with some of those things. This is no shame whatsoever. I'm just saying the early church lived on a different plane because they were able to completely let go of things. They prayed about everything, and they lived in a way that we don't always live. They lived with purpose. I mean, if you ask the early church, if you asked anybody in that early church what they were about, they knew what they were about. They knew their purpose in life. They lived with peace in spite of all the things going on. They had a great peace, a peace that transcends all understanding, Paul says. They lived with joy. Barnabas could, could see the grace of God when he went up to Antioch and he, and he came into that church and he just began to experience, to have time with those people. He's like, I could see the grace of God on those people. I could see the joy. I could literally touch what God was doing amongst them because they were so excited. They were living with so much joy. And then lastly, they, were, they had passion about them. They had a passion about what they were doing. They were called little Christ. And as Matt did a great job last week of talking about what is a Christian, it is a little Christ. It is a, it is a follower of Christ who's completely sold out and passionate about what they were doing. That was 
the, the way they were living. The last thing is they saw things that we don't see. Now, a lot of people say, well, why don't we see miracles today? Have miracles ceased and we don't see those anymore? Why don't we see the things they saw in the early church? You know why we don't see the things they didn't see in the early church? Because we don't believe what they believed in the early church, by and large. This is not a shame thing, but by and large, as the American church, we don't believe what they believed. We don't do what they do. We're not facing what they faced, and so we don't see a lot of times what they saw because we're not doing what they did, which is prayer and worship and selling out to him completely because we don't see what they saw because we're not doing what they did, right? So as the American church, we're called to something greater. So in conclusion, I want to ask you, are, are we laying brick? Are we building a cathedral? With your life, are, are you simply laying brick and it's every day picking up a brick, put it in a place, and I'm just, this is what I did, I just lay brick? Or is every day of your life saying, no, <laughs> yeah, maybe laying brick, but I'm not just laying brick, I am building a cathedral to the glory of God. God can use you, God can use your life to build something great individually. And corporately as a church, we've got to see a bigger picture of what we're doing here and how God's going to use this for all of eternity that we can't even see right now with our eyes. But what I'm asking you to do is let go of the things of the world. Let go of all the things that burden you. Let go of all of those things and completely give yourself over to him because there's no greater time to give yourself completely to the Lord than right now. Would you pray with me? You see, this is a global gospel. So I want to ask you right now, is there anything if I were to ask you to walk for five miles, you'd say, yeah, but I can't do it without that. I'm not going to walk five miles if I can't take this or that with me. Is there anything that God would say, hey, you've got to let go of that? And I would say even good things, even God things, even things that God has given you as a gift, are you willing to let go of those and, and raise your hands in complete surrender to him and saying, God, I'll let go of those. Listen, this could be a time of breakthrough for you this morning. Things that you've held on to and you're saying, no, I will not let go of that. And listen, that could be emotion. That could be anger. That could be unforgiveness. That could be church hurt. That could be something that's gone on in the past. It could be something someone did to you. It could be a material possession. It could be a job. It could be a person. It could be a relationship. Any of those things, or anything that you're not willing to let go of, you say, God, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going on that journey without that. Would you simply identify that? It's where you spend your time and your, your money and your resources. It's what keeps you up at night.
And maybe right now you're saying, I don't know if I can do that. Would you simply tell God that you want to do that? God, I want to do that. I want to let go of that thing. That anger, that unforgiveness, that person, that relationship, that material possession, that whatever it is, I want to be willing to let go of that. The next thing I want to ask you to do, that's worship, and then I want you to move into prayer. Is just, are you praying about those things? Have you lifted those things up to God? Have you, have you really strenuously and earnestly sought God about that thing? An emotion, a person, a job, a material, a material possession. Have you earnestly sought God? single, if you, you let go of what could be, what you want to happen. And then if you earnestly prayed about that thing. So Father, we just come before you and, and um, God, we want to experience more of who you are. We want to we want to live in fullness of joy and passion and zeal and purpose. We want to live like we've not lived before. We want to be a church that lives out the gospel in a way that is so powerful and transforming. So we surrender all those things to you, trusting that you will give back the things that we need. God, we love you, and we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives and the people's lives around us. And as we sing this final song, I just want to ask you as we sing this final song, it wouldn't be just a kind of a, a closing song, but that we'd really zone in on what's being said and that you would continue this time of worship. Thanks so much for listening to the Clearfort Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, head to clearforkchurch.org. Take heart, Fort Worth. He has overcome the world. We hope to see you soon.